You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, March 16th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A Sitka woman will spend four years in prison for hitting and killing a bicyclist with her car just over two years ago. In court last August, 21-year-old Brooke Mulligan pleaded guilty to criminally negligent homicide in the death of 20-year-old Terry Carlson Jr., At her sentencing on Tuesday, the court suggested that her actions at the time of the incident were, at best, approaching the more serious charge of manslaughter and, at worst, were inhumane. Please note the content of this story may be inappropriate for some audiences. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The short version of the story is grim. Brooke Mulligan, then 19 years old and possibly coming off a methamphetamine high from the previous evening, drove down Halibut Point Road at 6 a.m. on March 8, 2021, swerved across the center line and hit a 20-year-old bicyclist, Terry Carlson Jr., head-on with her Jeep. Without stopping or getting out to check on Carlson, she turned around and drove to her father's house where she attempted to conceal incriminating evidence. The collision was witnessed by other motorists, and police located Mulligan about an hour later, and she denied involvement. Carlson's injuries were so traumatic he could not be medevaced to a larger hospital, and he soon died at Mount Edgecombe Medical Center, surrounded by shocked and grieving family. The long story won't be told, at least not in criminal court, as Mulligan's change of plea last August averted a lengthy trial, where perhaps we would have learned more about Terry Carlson Jr. beyond the terrible way he died. During Mulligan's sentencing, many of Carlson's family spoke, painting a portrait of him through their grief, none more powerfully than his older brother, Tyler Carlson. I've had so much anger built up towards you and your family. I wanted you to suffer. I wanted you to be left alone for dead, like you did to Terry. It took a long time for me to get past that feeling, but deep down, I know that's not what Terry would want. It wasn't who he was, and not who he would want me to be. All Terry ever wanted was to be loved and accepted, and that built in him a giving heart. He always wanted those around him to be happy. He was not vengeful or spiteful, and though every part of me wants to be, I choose not to be and honor him in that way. In the aftermath of the incident, Mulligan was arrested, arraigned, and jailed on $500,000 bail. Her mother posted bail six months later, and Mulligan has been under her third-party guardianship since then, which, in a small town, only fueled resentment toward her. By pleading guilty, Mulligan finally admitted to the crime. During sentencing, she offered what apology she could for conduct that many would consider unforgivable. I understand that saying sorry doesn't even begin to cut it, and there is nothing I can say or do to make up for what I've done. I realize that I cannot change your perception of me or the feelings you may have for me. What I did was wrong and unforgivable. But it's important to me that you know my truth. I am only 21 years old, and at the time of this tragedy, I was only 19. Unfortunately, at the time, I was a chronic drug user and at the peak of my addiction. I was in a very dark place. I had tried to go to rehab before to seek help, but my addiction was too strong and it had consumed me. I can tell you, I'm not proud of the person I was or the decisions I made. I wish that I was able to pull myself out of my addiction before I drastically and permanently altered all of our lives, and especially to Terry's life. 
Mulligan agreed to a plea deal that will have her serve eight years with five suspended for criminally negligent homicide, five years with four suspended for leaving the scene of an accident and failing to render aid. She'll serve the terms consecutively for a total of four years with one day off for every two days of good behavior. After getting out of prison, she'll be on probation for eight years. Assistant District Attorney Amy Fenske explained that this was the high end of the punishment for the charges, although she acknowledged that many would think it insufficient, possibly herself included. In Alaska, you just don't leave people, she said, referring to Mulligan's flight from the scene. Superior Court Judge Jude Pate also wanted to hold Mulligan to account. Had the case gone to trial, he would have had a hard time accepting the argument that she was out of her head when she struck Carlson. He said her immediate attempts to flee and dispose of incriminating evidence and her refusal to speak with police when they arrived at her father's house indicated a guilty mind. He said that the type of criminally negligent homicide Mulligan admitted to was actually closer to manslaughter, which is a more serious type of crime. Pate also described the scope of the loss, not just for Carlson's family, but for everyone. And she took from Sitka, by all accounts, a happy, healthy, joyous person, young man. He wasn't perfect, but he was vibrant and best I could tell, would grow up being an important part of the Sika community. Pate said the crime had a sinister ripple effect and had produced not just a distrust of the criminal justice system, but lasting harm to the members of Carlson's family who have attended hearing after hearing the last two years, seeking justice for their son, grandson, brother, and cousin. This act, this killing, has ripped the fabric of Sika's community in the most deep and harmful way. And it will take years for it to mend, if it ever does. Pate denied Mulligan's request to fly to Anchorage with her mother the following morning to enter the Highland Mountain Correctional Center. Instead, she was remanded into the custody of a Department of Corrections officer on the spot, handcuffed and taken to the Sitka jail to await transport. A civil lawsuit against Mulligan filed by the estate of Terry Carlson Jr. is pending. Additionally, her father, 72-year-old Richard Mulligan, is awaiting trial in June on one felony count of tampering with physical evidence. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Tuesday, the Environmental Protection Agency proposed the first-ever national limit on PFAS compounds in drinking water. The chemicals have been linked to cancer, liver damage, and high cholesterol. The news comes as one Alaska senator continues his fight to regulate PFAS, which has been found in drinking water from the North Slope to Southeast Alaska, at the state level. KTOO's Claire Strempel has the story. State Senator Jesse Keel took the mic at a rally for clean water protections on the Capitol steps in Juneau. He said the EPA announcement is great news, but he still needs to pass his bill to stop contamination before any more gets in Alaska's drinking water. The most important thing we can do in Alaska today is turn off the tap. Keel represents Gustavus, where PFAS from firefighting foam has contaminated drinking water, soil, and berries. He's tried to regulate PFAS for years. Keel's current bill, SB 67, would outlaw firefighting foams that contain PFAS and require the use of safe alternatives. 
The foams are typically used on fuel fires at airports. And Kiel says they're the main source of PFAS contamination in the state. We all have to put out fires. Everybody recognizes that. There are safe ways to do it that don't poison our firefighters, that don't poison our drinking water. Michelle Meyer was at the rally. She is Tlingit and grew up in Yakutat, where PFAS contamination from firefighting foams has been documented. I drank the water at my elementary school for years and was contaminated, so I, I am coming to terms that I can probably attribute it to my exposure. She was diagnosed with what her doctors called a rare form of leukemia when she was in her late 50s. I want to see this bill pass so that no more children are exposed to PFAS contaminated water. PFAS chemicals are linked to cancer, among other ill health effects. But it's hard to attribute specific illnesses to them because they accumulate in the system over time. Meyer's son, Connor, joined her on the Capitol steps. He said he'll never forget the pain of seeing his mother so ill and preparing for her death. He also attributes his mother's illness to PFAS, and he says it could have been prevented. All of this came because she chose to stay in a place that she was culturally connected to. And it scares me that, that living in the village is not responsible health-wise, that the inaction from the government and from community leaders around this topic have created an unsafe space for children to grow up. Alaska does not regulate PFAS in drinking water. That will change when the EPA's standards take effect. The manager of the state's drinking water program is supportive of the move. I think this is a step in the right direction. Cindy Christian has worked for the state agency for nearly 25 years. Um, PFAS has been an issue throughout the country, and the EPA has um, committed to promulgating this rule. Christian said the state will adopt federal standards when they're finalized. That will limit PFAS in drinking water to four parts per trillion, a tiny amount. Water systems throughout the state will likely be required to test their water and treat it if PFAS are present. For example, the municipal water in Fairbanks has PFAS in it. The levels aren't a violation because Alaska doesn't regulate them, but they will be if the new federal standards take effect. Patrice Lee is an advocate for clean air and water in Fairbanks. She testified in favor of Keel's bill this week. Scores of lakes can no longer be fished in. The fish cannot be taken or eaten. In my very favorite family place, the Pile Driver Slough, where we've always spent Mother's Day, can no longer be fished in. The public has 60 days to comment on the EPA's proposal. The agency expects to enact the standards by the end of this year. Once that happens, the state will have two years to adopt the new rules. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strimple. Taking a look at the community calendar, Simon Hook presents The Wonders of Antarctica today at 7 p.m. at the University of Alaska Southeast. Wildlife photos and landscapes from his recent stint as a guide on the other side of the planet are featured. For more information, email klbounty at alaska.edu. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Ha, 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 ha.